Amen. The church is a community that's been shaped by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but there's something special about knowing that we join with churches all over the world on this Sunday in celebrating and in focusing in on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The fact that um, Jesus was buried in a tomb and like any other man, he, he lay there, but that God raised him from the dead. Christ is risen from the dead and we celebrate that. Amen. Hey, well, good morning and welcome to Tri-Cities Church. If this is your first time here with us, we do welcome you here um, as, as our guest. Uh, um, we, we are simply a church that's been shaped by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are a people that are authentically learning what it looks like uh, to, to, to live for Christ, to follow Him. We believe that God has shaped us to be diverse. And so one of our, our, um, our values, as you see on the wall, is grace. And so we are a grace-filled church that's striving to represent the diversity in God's creation and live out what God has called us to be authentically. Um, and so we're, we're just, we're, we're always excited about uh, the gathering of the believers because it's a time that we are um, not just transformed because God is with us every day but tra- and transforming us every day. Um, but it is the time that we get to come together and encourage one another and learn from each other's journey how we can live out um, the gospel, um, this truth that God has uh, blessed us with. And so welcome to Tri-Cities Church. Before we get into our message this morning, um, I, I, um, coming up in, I think it's about three weeks, we're going to do another series. And so I want you guys to, to, to be here for that series, but also I need your help for that, that series of, of messages that we're going to do. Uh, we're simply calling it, You Asked For It. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're simply calling it, You Asked For It. And so there's all kinds of questions that we bump up against. Uh, in the Christian journey, right? As we're learning to follow Jesus Christ, you may bump up some, maybe some, somebody you know that's a believer said something and you went, ah, I don't know that I believe that. I, I don't know, I don't know if they're reading the same Bible as me. And you're like, is that even in the Bible? And, or maybe somebody else said, and you're like, hold on, what is that in the, and there's these questions, right? That you bump up against. And, and so I've, I've always been asked a lot of questions, um, for the obvious reason, right? People come and ask me questions about stuff the Bible says and all that. And so we're doing this series called You Asked For It. And what we're trying to do during this series is to, to, uh, to, to investigate some of those questions that we bump up against in the life of faith. And so if you have a question that's um, been just something you've been thinking about, you don't know the answer about, you just want somebody to show you, tell you what the scriptures say and help you to think more clearly about it, um, there's these cards in the seat in front of you. Uh, you can you can write it on the back of one of those cards if you have any question. Um, and uh, we're, we're, what we're going to do is, uh, it depends on how many questions we have, because uh, we only got about four or five, maybe six weeks that we'll spend answering those questions, but we may come back to it. may even do some times after church where we sit down and have lunch and, and talk about some of these questions. But you can fill out one of those. You can put it in the buckets that are on these tables when we share in communion after the message. Just put it in there. It'll get back to me, and I'll I'll, uh, I'll read these questions. And um, um, if you ask anything about the um, the Easter Bunny, I don't, I don't know that one to get <clears throat> answered. Has nothing to do with um, with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, but uh, if you, if you have serious questions about about the faith that have been kind of burning with you, uh, just feel free to write those, and we'll we'll do this series. You asked for it, where we'll we'll investigate some of those questions. All right, well, this morning we're beginning a series we're just simply called Emptied. The, the tomb was empty. Jesus emptied himself. We're going to explore what that is, what it looks like, and why we uh, celebrate 
emptiness, right, on, on, on Easter. So let's, let's pray and then we'll get into our message. God, we give you thanks this morning that you give us this opportunity uh, to gather in this place and to lift our hands in praise to you. God, total praise belongs to you. And it's for one reason and one reason alone. And God, it's not, it's not because of any of the good things that you did, um, like turn water into wine or feed the hungry or uh, heal the sick. Um, but it's because you got up from the grave. You conquered death. And so total praise belongs to to you. And so, God, we do give you total praise. We do lift our hands. We do sing our, uh, loudly songs of praise to you, God. We do live out our lives publicly um, because of you, because we know um, we know that greater is he that is within me than he that is within the world, because the one that's within me has conquered death and the grave. And so, God, we do praise you because of that. And we ask that you lead us this morning as we study the scriptures to help us to understand them more clearly, that we can understand how we can live out our lives in line with your word and in line with the life of Jesus Christ himself. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so there's this, um, there's a saying, uh, that I, I heard before, um, and there's a number of different sayings that go along with it, but I had heard it before, and, um, it didn't really become something that I lived by until, um, uh, till I was older. It's this saying, um, it doesn't matter what you know, but, but who you know, right? Um, and, and people always said that to me, and I didn't, it wasn't until I was in college that I began to, to really understand what that meant, because, um, there were certain doors that opened uh, for me as a, as an adult or a young man um, that that I, it wasn't really because of anything that I had done, but it was simply because of relationships that I had. I remember even one time I, I got a scholarship that I, I didn't I didn't apply for it. Um, it just somebody recommended me for it, uh, and I, it just kind of came out the blue. And I was I was thinking to myself, this is. This is kind of insane. Like, um, and, and, and I'd heard that saying, it doesn't matter, um, what you know, but, but who you know. In other words, there are certain doors that are open for you based upon your relationships and your reputation, right? Those kind of things go hand in hand. And so one of the things I learned at that point, I'm like, I, I, um, <clears throat> I, I didn't care what people said about me, right? I, I, I was, um, when, when I, when I got married, um, when, well, when I started dating my wife, I didn't own, um, I didn't even own a pair of jeans, right? Uh, or tennis shoes. I was, I was, uh, I came to school, my shirt tucked in, and we laughed this morning. I used to, um, um, button my, my shirt up all the way, and, uh, that was before it was cool. Like, it's become cool now. Uh, but I used to do that before it was cool, like when everybody used to try to have their, you know, shirt sunbutton looking all, you know, um, you know how it is. <laughs> Back when, uh, what was it? Silk shirts. Remember those silk shirts with the designs that used to be in style? Back in that, back in that, that day, um, and, uh, I used to button my shirts up and I carried myself very proper because I realized that both your relationship and your reputation, now I might not have had the best reputation with my, my, uh, colleagues, my friends, but at least professors and adults saw me as, you know, carrying myself well because I realized that there were doors that would open up for me based upon the way I, uh, I carried myself. And so it didn't matter, right? And, and job after job after job, even when I was looking for jobs and, and even when I went to different churches, there were opportunities that opened for me and it wasn't because I applied for a job and we were just joking I said I think I've only applied for a job 
once or twice uh, in my life. And uh, it, but but these jobs just kind of things seemed to open up, and I I learned that it wasn't because of what I knew, but often it was because of who I knew, and that I was always trying to um, maybe maybe too much so trying to maintain this. I don't know. Maybe there's not too much so trying to maintain this good reputation. But 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 if you haven't been convinced of that, right? Let 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 this convince you, right there. Doors will open for you. Don't burn bridges, right? Um, just because you don't like somebody, you don't have to act like you don't like them because that person may open the door to something good for you in the future, right? Um, and so I learned to stack these things in my favor and to take advantage of relationships and reputation. In fact, when I went back to school, um, I, went, I went to Princeton Seminary, and so when I, when I went back to school... Uh, I applied to one school, and I chose the one school that I figured that it was impossible for me to to get into, and I and I knew that there, there I, I didn't have a chance, right? Uh, I, I'd done okay in school, but I hadn't done done really well, and so I I went to all the people that you know you have to do like three or four references. I went to all the people that I got to do references for me, and I said, um, um, one, did you go to Princeton? That was my number one question, right? Did you go to Princeton? My number two was. Do you still have relationships there, right? Because I wanted to know if, if who you are would open doors for me down the road. Um, and, 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 um, and, and it does, right? That's the way it works. And so I've learned to stack that in my favor. Now, what we see in Jesus's life, right? Um, we see that he had both a relationship and a reputation with the one who truly mattered. Right. And so I like I have relationships and reputations with friends and with with people, with uh, colleagues, with professors, with people that I work for, managers. But but Jesus had a, a relationship. This is what the scriptures are teaching us, that he had a relationship and the best reputation with God, the father. And so Jesus was born into this world as the son of God. That's what people called him when he was born into the world. And he had the best relationship with God, the father. In fact, when we um, when we look at the story of Jesus beginning in Matthew. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, we see this very clearly at Jesus' baptism. There's this, this story in Matthew chapter 3 where it's Jesus being baptized, and I just want to read a, a little uh, a snapshot of that for you. Look at uh, verse 13. Listen, listen to what it says in Matthew chapter 3. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, but John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me, right? So he's kind of perplexed, right? He's like, I need to be baptized by Jesus, but here's this guy, and he's coming to me asking me to baptize him. And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. A voice from heaven said, this is my son, right? Relationship. There's a, there's a relationship. This is God the Father in heaven saying, this is my son. And then he says, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And so here we see very early in Jesus' life that he was born the son of God, that he had the relationship that was working in his advantage. He had lived a life up until this point that God was pleased with. And God made it clear there in that very moment that this was his Son. He claimed him as his own. And, and Jesus had like the perfect setup for success. Like I'm, I'm just kind of imagining myself if I was the son of God, right? If I was, if I was that, that man, like what, 
what, what ways I would have taken advantage of that working in my favor. I, I mean, you wouldn't have been able to tell me anything. I mean, they, were, this, they say the sky's the limit. That would have been the truth, right, in my life. I, I would have taken advantage of being the son of God, having pleased God, knowing that he would give me whatever I asked for. But what we see in the scriptures is that story playing out much different than, than uh, the way we probably would have done it, right? Because we would have taken advantage of that relationship. We would have milked it. We would have worked it. We, you know, we are, we are good at working the system to get the things that, that we want. But what we see is Jesus didn't do that. In fact, Jesus made himself nothing. He didn't take advantage of those things that were working in his, in, in his favor. Rather, he gave up all of those things, um, and and on the cross, what we see, and this is why the cross, the image of the cross is so powerful, is because Jesus gave up both his relationship and his reputation. In fact, Isaiah chapter 53, and I won't read it, but you can uh, jot that down. You can read it in your spare time. The Bible says that, uh, that our sins, like our wrongdoings, our iniquities were laid upon Jesus Christ on the cross, that he took all those things, that all of our sins were placed upon his back. And it says um, that he was uh, whipped and he was beaten for our iniquities. And it says by, by, um, by um, his, his stripes, we are healed. And so what we see is that on the cross that Jesus took upon uh, himself all the wrong that all humans would ever do, what that did was that ruined his relationship and reputation with the Father. And when we're reading through the scriptures, there's this, there's this one clear, um, this one clear, um, just kind of difference that I, I say clear, but it is easy to miss. Whenever Jesus is talking about God the Father, he always refers to God as Father, right? So when he teaches us to pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, right? And whenever he talks about God, he says, um, you know, this is how you do. You, you talk to God, your Father, or you trust God, your Father. So he's over and over again, all throughout scriptures, um, referring to God as Father. But then when he gets to the cross, and I don't know if you've ever noticed this, when he gets to the cross and he's hanging there and he has his, his final words there on the cross, this is the one time in scriptures that he refers to God and does not refer to him as Father. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, it wasn't just that he was taking on the pain of the cross, but he was taking on the pain of being separated from God, his father. For the first time, there was a block in that relationship with God and the father. For the first time, um, he did not have that reputation with the father because he had taken on our sins, all the things we could ever do wrong. He had taken all that on his back and he experienced there on the cross the full wrath of God. Now he was fully God, but he was fully man as well. And I can't imagine what the full wrath of God must have felt like. But here we have Jesus taking on the full wrath of God there on the cross, separated from the Father, abandoned, feeling weak and hopeless without help in this world. And he calls out to God his Father, and then he dies there on the cross. 
Now, one of my favorite passages of Scripture in Philippians chapter 2, Paul's writing, and he's kind of unpacking this for the church. He's helping us to wrestle with this reality and what it means for us as people who now believe in Jesus Christ, who live for him. And so it's actually kind of like a hymn that he's writing, although you don't get the the hymn so much in the the Scriptures. But in in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, he begins to unpack this, and, and he teaches us that what what uh, Jesus did on the cross was it was God in the flesh emptying himself, not taking advantage of anything that would have been advantageous for him. So there's this son of God relationship that he has, but he chose not to take advantage of that. There was this good reputation that he had with the father, but he chose not to take advantage of that. Rather, the, the Bible says he made himself nothing. He emptied himself is what it says literally in, in the Greek, that he emptied himself, made himself of no reputation at all. Look at, look at what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. It says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. And so here you have um, just a few little theological points there, that Jesus didn't come into existence at his birth. He's pre-existent, um, that he existed before his birth. He was there at creation. We talked a couple of weeks ago about the Trinity, um, the fact that there's three, th- three, not three different gods, three persons, one God, right? And that, that Jesus was there from the very beginning, but was born as a woman. He entered into a human form, uh, through a woman, but it was pre-existent. So it says that um, he did not consider equality, which he had before he was born, equality with God, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. Right, right, right there where it says he made himself nothing. That scripture is saying that he, he emptied himself of everything that would have given him an advantage, that would have given him an upper hand. And so, yeah, he was the son of God. That would have given him an upper hand. But he, he emptied himself of that. God was pleased with him. He emptied himself of that. He was omniscient, right? He emptied himself of that. He was om, uh, omnipotent, omniscient being all knowing, like knowing all things. He emptied himself of that, right? Being all powerful, right? He empties himself of that and becomes like we are, right? And that's the reason why death was able to overtake him because he emptied himself and gave his life up to death itself. Um, this is a powerful, powerful thing to see. And, and I am um, the thing that kept hitting me this week as I was thinking about this text and reading through it was like a, as a human being, how how powerful of a thing, this great exhibition of power for Jesus to say yes to the cross, say yes to separation from God, to say yes to the pain that he would endure there, to say yes for being made a spectacle of and being hung up high. Um, but, but what we see here is that, that, that that's what he did, that he was, he was kind of peeling off those layers of relationship and reputation so that he could put himself in our shoes, separated from God and fully dependent upon God. There's this, this story in the Bible, and I don't know if you're, if you're familiar with, with, uh, with the Bible. You, you, you might be familiar with it. And it's at the beginning of Jesus' uh, ministry, right after he was baptized there in, in Matthew chapter 4. Um, and um, and it just, it, it's, just, it's just a powerful thing what happens there is that, um, that Jesus... 
uh, was tempted by Satan, right? Immediately after his baptism, the Bible says he was led into the wilderness by Satan, and there he was tempted. And if you pay attention to these temptations, look at what Satan does there. Um, in verse 3, he says, The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, right? If, if you really have that relationship, this is what he's doing. If you really have that relationship with the Father, you can use that to your advantage. If you are the Son of God, he says, tell these stones to become bread. And here's Jesus, hadn't eaten a thing for 40 days. Um, But Satan knows that he had power because he's the Son of God. He had power to turn the stones into bread and to feed himself right there on the spot. Um, Y'all ever had that bread from O'Charlie's? That's a random thought, but... But I mean, I'm just imagining Jesus turning, when they, when he turned water into wine, what did they say? That's the best wine, right? Uh, if he turned a stone into bread, my Lord. Uh, 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 um, but here it is. Satan's saying, if you are the son of God, right? Tell that stone to become bread because Satan knows this. That all of creation is under the authority of God. And if Jesus said it, that it would happen. And so he's tempting him to use that relationship to his advantage. He's offering him a shortcut to glory, right? You don't really have to suffer. You don't really have to go through hardship. You don't really have to endure this trial. There's a shortcut to glory. Look at the next thing he says in verse 6. He says, if you are the son of God, right? So here comes again, the son of God thing. You say you're the son of God. People are calling you the son of God. See how this whole thing's playing out. You didn't do the bread thing. Let's see this. See if you'll, you'll do this one, right? If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up uh, in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So jump off a building, right? Um, do this and God's going to catch you because you're his son. He's well pleased with you. He has all power. He's not going to let you hurt yourself. So do this. If you are the son of God and Jesus doesn't, doesn't do it, or even though he could, it's a shortcut to glory because people would have seen it they would have praised him as a result of that but it was a shortcut to the glory that god intended for him but then look at the third thing when satan comes back this third time and this is interesting because he doesn't do that son of god trick anymore right it's almost like well he's not taking advantage of that relationship he's like let me offer him another a different relationship it says all this i will give you this is what he says to jesus all this he takes him to his high place and shows him all the kingdoms of the world right and he says all this i will give you he said if you will bow down and worship me and Satan says, let me entice you with another relationship. You won't take advantage of your relationship with God. Let me, let me show you another relationship. Let's see if you'll take advantage of this. And I, and I kept thinking throughout this week, right? This is almost the way, um, this is the way this plays out in our life sometimes, right? Um, that, that we, um, that as followers of Jesus Christ, we experience temptation to do certain things. If you are really a child of God, right? God will f- forgive you, right? You sing that, that song. Those songs at church, right? Your grace is enough, right? You sing songs about how God has forgiven you and loved you and how unconditional that is, right? You've heard the scriptures about that. If you are the son of God, you can do this, right? And God will forgive you after all. And then Satan begins enticing us into a relationship with him, 
himself. It's this powerful image here. But what Jesus did was he made himself nothing. He refused to uh, take advantage of those relationships. He refused to give in to that temptation, right? He refused to turn a stone into, into, into to bread. I'm not sure that I would have been able to do that. Um, but here he is going the way of the cross, which is the way of emptying himself. He made himself nothing. He emptied himself. And what we see throughout all of Scripture, from the beginning to the end, is that God's greatness is most clearly seen through emptiness. Right? Through emptiness. At the very beginning, when God created the world, the Bible tells us there was nothing in existence. Right, that it was nothing but darkness. And out of that, God spoke things into creation, into existence. And out of emptiness, out of an empty world, out of an empty, um, hollow, void space of nothing, God showed His greatness in this world. And He spoke and said, let there be light. And there was light and He called animals to exist and they existed. And He called the sun and the moon and the stars to exist. And they took their proper place in the orbit. He uh, shifted the world, tilted it perfectly and caused it to rotate and spin and whatever that other stuff that it does that keeps us from burning and keeps us from freezing. I tell you, they tell me that it's this exact, uh, these exact measurements of this world that it's, uh, that it's perfectly shaped. It's clearly designed. And, um, and he did that out of nothing, out of emptiness. And his greatness is most clearly seen in emptiness. And, and this encourages at least me, because here's the deal, right? When you're at rock bottom, when you hit a dead end, right? When you feel like life is empty, that's the place that God does his best work, right? That's where God's, uh, that's like a canvas for God, like a blank canvas, right? We feel like being empty, right? Being uh, uh, bankrupt, being um, broken, broke, whichever one you want, you want to call it, right? Being uh, struggling, in depression, feeling like giving up, not wanting to wake up in the morning, Right, that, that, that seems like a bad place to be. But what the scriptures show us over and over again is that that's the place where God does his best work because through emptiness, the greatness of God is seen. In fact, what we see playing out here in Philippians chapter 2, if you go back there, is that that's where the resurrection came out of. It came out of this um, this son of God who was willing to empty himself of all those things to lay out a blank canvas for God's glory to be seen through his life. Look at what it says in verse 8. It says, and being found in appearance as a man, right? So he was born. He lived in appearance as a man, looked like, like we did, like we do. Um, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He became obedient to death even death on a cross. I like that because it says he became obedient to death. They didn't, like, Jesus wasn't on the run. Like, they didn't, they didn't catch him. This wasn't like, what, um, what's that show with that guy, that, those people that, uh, I don't know what it is, a bounty hunter people. There's a show on TV. Right? It wasn't like Jesus, like they sent a bounty. Yeah, no, it's kind of silly. My mind's going. But it wasn't like Jesus was on the run and they're like behind him. And he's like, catch me if you can, right? Um, <laughs> That wasn't the way the story, it says he became obedient to death on the cross. That means he said yes to the way and will of God, and that way and will of God he knew was was the cross, because he knew that God would do some powerful 
things through that. He knew that emptying himself, that, that God's greatness would be clearly seen. He knew that in emptying himself and giving himself over to the cross, he knew that we would be gathering in a place like this and celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He knew that the world was going to change forever, right? He knew there was no turning back from the difference that this was going to make in the world. So he became obedient to death, even death on the cross, the most painful and agonizing death that a human could, could go through. And it says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place because they're in emptiness. It was only by the power of God that he could be risen. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. It's there that God does his great work through the emptiness of Jesus Christ by raising him from the dead that the world might see. Because uh, these other things, these, um, you know, I, I keep mentioning water, water into to wine because uh, that's the first miracle in the Bible, not, not because I like wine a little too much. <laughs> um, but... Uh, these other miracles water into really good wine, right? Um, uh, um, healing the sick, multiplying fish and bread to feed thousands, right? These other things people were able to write off as kind of a neat trick, right? I, 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 you know, that was, that was cool. I, sleight of hands, maybe. Uh, I, I, you know, uh, maybe if we had a videotape, we could rewind that and see exactly how you, how you made that one happen. Uh, you know, David Blaine, you know, Jesus was David Blaining things. Um, isn't that the magician's name? Um, uh, so, like, all the other ones he was able to to um, to write off is like, yeah, he did something neat, something, I, did, I just didn't see it, I blinked or something. Um, but here, everyone saw it. In fact, the cross was on a hill. He became a spectacle where people from afar could see his body hanging there lifeless. People could visit the tomb that he was buried in. People saw his limp body being carried off. They saw the spear go into his side, where if he was still alive a little bit, he would have flinched. They saw no movement from him because he was truly dead. They knew there was no trick of hands. There was no behind the scenes, no screen. No, they knew there was nothing. And when they saw him again, they knew it was only the power of God himself. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest exhibition of God's power that redefines the grave. The grave is now defined differently. Before the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the grave was a symbol. It was an image of finality. It was the end of the road, right? It, 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 it wasn't just the end of the road. It was the cliff, right? You were over the edge. There was no returning from the grave. Everyone knew that the grave was a symbol of this is over, the end of the game, end of story. No more, um, no more yeses, no, no more love, no, none of that, right? The grave was the end. 
There was no getting up from that before the resurrection of Jesus Christ. After the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his empty grave became a symbol of victory, right? People began to celebrate that. They could go and visit. I hear that in the Holy Land, right, that you can like pay or something like that to go see the tomb of Jesus. Um, and so you can celebrate it like as a, <laughs> is that true? Anybody ever been? I want to go somewhere. Hey, all right. So you could go. You could pay to see the, the grave of Jesus with the stone rolled away. It became a symbol of victory. In fact, it's odd. I was thinking that this week, and this is odd. This shows you how my mind works. Right, it's odd that we walk around with crosses on our necks and not graves. Like, we should have graves on our neck because it's a symbol of victory. Although that's just the ugliest thing ever. Like, I get the cross thing um, because graves would have been kind of odd and, you know, there's no real shape of it. Um, but, but the cross is a symbol of defeat, right? The grave is a symbol of victory. Post-resurrection, the grave is a symbol of victory that God has conquered death, his empty grave. But here's the deal, right? In our world today, there's still graves that are full and not just filled with people, right? There are some dead situations. There are some dead ends in our lives. There are some hardships, and struggles. But the resurrection has redefined all graves. Every single one, the resurrection has redefined it. It's no longer the end because God is king over that. God is glorious. God is all-powerful. He's able to conquer the grave and raise whatever lies there dead. He's able to raise it up. You see, the resurrection forces us to ask one question. We can't walk away from this and not ask this one question. And that's what in my life, right? This is an important question for all of us. What in my life have I labeled as hopeless? Because I can't see how God will work it out. Right? What in my life have I labeled as hopeless because I can't see how God will work it out? What am I labeling is that, that relationship. It's, it's died. I saw it. It's, um, been put in the, in the grave. Rock rolled over it. It's sealed up. It's not coming back to life. But God. God raises the dead. All graves have been redefined. The grave is no longer the end. There's a God who's able to conquer the grave who has proved it through Jesus Christ. We're celebrating it here today. That relationship may seem like a dead end. That job, that financial situation may seem like a dead end, but there's a God who conquers the grave, right? It doesn't matter what it is. You name it. What situation am I labeling as hopeless? We're quick to do that, right? I've tried them. I've tried to fix it. I've tried to repair it. I've uh, done my all. I've, um, I've, I've, um, I spent all this money to do this or, you know, you name it, right? All the things we've tried to fix, we've tried, we're, we're masters at taking control of things, right? It, it took me a long time to learn that lesson. I, I learned, um, the hard way. Here's, here's what I would do. Uh, when something went awry in my life, right? Something awry, y'all like that? Um, something went awry in my life. Something went not the way that I intended it to go, like, right? When I faced some kind of hardship in life, here's what I did, right? I stay awake at night, strategize, like, I'm putting together a plan, right? I'm about to fix this, um, because I, I, in my head, I am the king of fixing it. Um, that's the way we do, right? We, we use our, our, um, our, uh, nobody can say they're not intelligent because we try to control all of our situations, right? We try to use our brain power to get us our, ourselves out of any kind of trouble we get ourselves in. 
Uh, and so that's the way I was. And then I was, I was, man, I was like beating my head against a wall trying to fix situations, make things right, heal relationships, those kind of things. And then I learned, um, it was almost like a voice, like a still something. It wasn't a voice, but almost like that, right? It was like, why, like, why are you working your own plan first? Uh, and then when you failed, over and over and over again, then you learn to pray. Like, I, I felt like God was like, come on, brother, come on. Like, is in the Bible, you've been taught this in church. Uh, um, it, it never works out the way you plan on it being. Uh, you know, why not pray first? Right, because when there's a grave in our life, when we've reached the dead end, there's a God who raises things from the dead. There's a God who has proven to us over and over again that the tomb, the grave, is not a challenge for Him. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, we can't pretend as though there aren't challenges in our lives, that there aren't things that are out of control. In fact, maybe now more than before, I'm, um, <clears throat> I guess there's no such thing as too quick, but I'm quick to call on the name of God, the name of God through Jesus Christ and his power. And so it could be something so simple, something minute, something very small. And it's God, I need you here because I realize you have power here in my life. Pray to him because he is Lord of the grave. And so my challenge for you this morning is just one thing. Take that label that you've placed on whatever it is and remove it and let God have his way there. Let him work there. That relationship, maybe it's a marriage, maybe it's with your children, maybe it's with your parents, maybe it's that thing you've labeled as hopeless, right? That relationship that you've said, it's just never going to be right, it's never going to be fixed, I give up, I resign, right? Take that label of hopeless off and begin being steadfast in prayer, handing it over to the Lord, fully expecting and excited about what God could do, because before the resurrection of Christ, the grave was a was grounds for hopelessness and depression right it was grounds for being broken and sitting back and 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 feeling like we've been defeated but now in the grave is a sign of hope excitement and anticipation for what God is able to do. Yeah, my marriage may be broken, but there's a God who's able to fix it and prove his power in this world. Yeah, I may be uh, in a worse financial condition than I've ever been in my whole life, but there's a God who's the God of the comeback, right? He doesn't stay behind for long, right? He's able to bring you out and restore that was, that was broken, right? There is a God who's conquered the grave. Easter reminds us of that. And so take this seriously. Remove that label of hopeless and let God have his work. Now, what this does not mean, and I don't want to issue you any false promises, right? this does not mean, <laughs> um, I'm not saying anything about us, but this does not mean that your wife is going to start doing the things you want her to do. I'm just saying. 
I'm, I'm just saying, right? It, it may. You may pray about it, and she may like, whoop, whoop, you know, everything you want, you know. That, this does not mean, this does not mean that your boss is going to be any kinder or gentler. This does not mean that raising children will be any easier. It may. You may pray about it and they may whoop whoop. You know, they may get their act together. You know what I mean? You may not even have to take the belt off if you're a parent that does that kind of thing. It does not mean that God will fix it the way you want it to be fixed. But it means that God will intervene in that situation. It it may mean that God gives you the strength to have 25, 30, 50 years of a messy marriage. And everybody else around you is like, It was nothing but the power and strength of God that kept them together. They had no reason staying staying together. And and even in that, God gets the glory. Even in that, God gets the glory. Because here's what it does mean. That God will ensure, as long as we say yes to Him, that He will be glorified. I can promise you of that. I can guarantee you of that. So don't look at the tomb and say, God, fix it, and expect him to fix it and it all to be right. But we look at the grave and we say, there's a God who's able to get glory through death. Surely he'll get glory through my life. And in the end, all right, there's hope there. In the end, there's a glorious future where all will be made right and whole, and will stand before God. No more tears, no more hardship, no more struggle. And we'll be able to say, our God truly, what does it say in Philippians? Let me just read that. It says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of the Father. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks this morning that you give us this opportunity to gather here in this place to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And God, right now, and I want to pray, um, I want to pray a prayer over graves in our lives. God, these different dead ends, these different um, hardships and struggles, these um, things that are a part of life that we wish they weren't. God, we pray over those things. And God, I pray first a prayer of encouragement and perseverance, that you will encourage us to stick with it, to stick it out, to persevere, because we know that you will get the glory in that. But God, we also pray a prayer about your might, your strength, God. We ask that you resurrect the dead things in our lives, God. We ask believing that you are Lord of the dead, both the living and the dead. And God, we believe that you are mighty enough to save, mighty enough to lift up those things that we've labeled as hopeless. And so God, please give us the boldness and the courage to take that label off of the things in our lives 
and to celebrate the victory even before we've experienced it. To celebrate a renewed marriage even before we've experienced it. To celebrate better relationships all around even before they become a part of our experience, God. Knowing that there's a God who raises the dead. A God who doesn't label anything as hopeless. But a God who sees all hope in all things has conquered death and the grave. And has chosen to make us recipients of that power in our lives, over the things of our lives. What a mighty God we serve. In your Son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.